everybody, welcome to the Geek Generation. I am your host, Rob Logan, and this week's episode is a compilation of our interviews from PAX East. We talked to the developers of 18 different games, which is the most we've ever done at a convention before. If you'd like to watch all of the interviews, which include game footage, you can head on over to the newly designed thegeekgeneration.com. We have a sleek new look, and our media posts for video and audio contain buttons for watch later, or listen later, and you can build your own custom playlist to come back to and watch or listen at your convenience. If you're a gamer, and I'm assuming you are because you're listening to this episode, and you'd like to help support the Geek Generation, we have partnered up with the folks at Humble Bundle. When you shop in the Humble store or buy the latest bundle, a portion of your purchase comes our way. Just use the geekgeneration.com slash humble before you buy your games, and we appreciate your support. Now, here are all of our interviews from PAX East 2018. Hey, we are at PAX East, and we are talking about Dunk Lords. Uh, you guys were here last year showing off the game. Yep. There's a lot of new stuff added this time, so what's Definitely. new? So, um, new at the show this year, we've got uh, eight characters that weren't in before. So, it brings it up to 16 characters total. And I think we've got like four more courts than we had uh, when we came last year. So, there's nine total in the game. We are planning on 10 in the final game, so we have one more court to make. Um, and then there's, I want to say, probably like 20 new items in the game, too, that you can buy in between quarters. So there's like shoes, armor, gloves that give you special abilities during the game. Yeah. Nice. Uh, one of the things that you showed me, too, while we were playing is the new gauntlet mode. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so we basically added almost like a roguelike mode to the game where you're going to play four games in a row, and you're, um, if you lose, you're done. So you have to win all the games. And the game actually keeps like an overarching score that keeps track of how much you're winning by, how many points you scored, um, how much damage you're doing. So there's all these categories you can kind of try to get your score up in. Um, and then after each of the games, as long as you win, you get to lock in one piece of equipment for each character before you start the next game. So as you go through the four games, they get crazier and crazier with more and more abilities added. Um, and it's basically like a high score mode. And we're also planning on trying to do like a daily challenge version of it. So you get like one shot and the store and the opponents will be the same for like everybody that's playing. Since being here last year, you got to see a lot of people play the game. You got a lot of feedback probably from people playing. What from that show were you able to utilize when creating the new build? Oh, so tons of stuff. So when I came to PAX East the first time, that was the first time I ever publicly showed the game. So we got tons of great feedback. The most obvious one is like at the original build last year, there was only one dunk animation. Oh, okay. So everybody did like a windmill dunk every time. And people, the number one complaint was like, you guys need way more dunks. So there's a ton of dunks in the game now. Um, and it just randomly plays, you know, an animation uh, depending, but it, it added so much like variety to the game and the way it looks. Um, and then we also, the other big ask was, can I alley-oop? And so alley-oops are now in the game. And that was another thing that was like, 
we were obviously thinking about doing, but it was like once I came to PAX last year, it was like, okay, like we literally have to do it right away because yeah. people just want it. I mean, it's like a main thing that people are expecting to see. When creating this game, was it more of like an homage to this type of game or were you looking to do something very new? Um, I would say, I mean, it definitely started as like, I really, I was doing a bunch of prototypes basically and I knew that I had liked arcade sports games like NBA Jam and Blitz. Um, and then I also was, you know, had a lot of fun playing fighting games and I was like, oh, it would be fun to make a new kind of game like that. I mean, there were like the Mutant League games and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's kind of like, there was that floating around. And the original concept of the game was actually like NBA Jam meets Diablo. Um, so the item system kind of came out of that. And then as I made it more, it became more obvious that it was closer to a fighting game than to like a Diablo type system because the characters all had different abilities. And then we had the different stages and it just felt more like a fighting game. And then the item stuff kind of got moved into like almost like a MOBA space where you're like making the money during the game and like in between quarters, you're like buying the gear to like upgrade as you play. And it just started falling together. I mean, like the game was fun to just like pass and dunk and shoot for a while. But like once we, I figured out, oh, the economy can work in this way. The items can fit in this way. Oh, we can do this other stuff this way. Then they put the shot pads on the ground. So you get bonuses when you shoot from some of these shot pads. And the way that the shot pads are set up is that they're all inside the three-point line, but away from where you can dunk. So it kind of incentivizes the like mid-range too nice. to spread things out. And once all that fell into place, like the game got really fun. And then I was like, oh man, this is gonna be super hard to balance, which it is. Because yeah. it turned into like almost like a MOBA, right? Where you got all these characters, all these items they can equip, yeah. and like there's busted stuff that if you combo this with this, it's totally unstoppable. So there's been a lot of like tweaking and changing and like trying to find the right price for items and stuff like that. Did you ever watch the Rock and Shock basketball games that used to be on MTV I, back in the day? Is that the one where it was like famous musicians? Yeah, and, and they had like all the, the point pads and the higher hoop in the oh, air and everything. I, and yeah, yeah. So, I, I get some vibes yeah. in here. I, I have to be honest, I didn't consciously think of that <laughs> while I was making the game, but I definitely have seen that. Yeah. And I'm sure like deep down it was like part part of the like stuff behind the game. I mean, there's also like a Nintendo game called, uh, it's like a River City Ransom yeah. basketball spinoff, yeah. but it only came out in Japan. But like I had played the ROM of that and they have like three hoops on top of each yeah. other and stuff. So, I mean, I had messed around testing stuff like that too <laughs> when I was originally like doing the prototype, like, oh, maybe I could do some of that. And so I've always really liked basketball. I mean, I played when I was a kid and it was just like, you know, it made the most, it was a sport I felt the most passionate about to like turn into an action sports game. So as the game is getting more and more polished, are you eyeing a release date? Um, yeah, I mean, we're hoping to get out this year for sure. Um, it probably will be quarter three, maybe early quarter four. Um, the story mode is still, you know, under construction. The arcade mode is pretty much done. I mean, the levels are in. I mean, we're going to polish up some of the art um, for the levels, add some background stuff. But there, in general, it's all set. Um, it's really the story mode. The gauntlet mode is all done, too. So we're really just going to finish the story mode and then get you know get it on co console and get the translations done and everything like that and get it out. And if people want more information about the game, where can they go? Uh, yeah, so they can just go to dunklords.com or they can head over to at um, Storyfort, which is my Twitter, um, and you know ask me about the game there. 
All right, we are here talking about Solo, which you can see behind me is this uh, introspective romance puzzler, which yeah. is an interesting way of describing it. Um, where'd the idea for this come from? Uh, well, I, the idea came from a, actually is a tough one. Three years ago, I had like a tough uh, breakup with, uh, with my partner on the current time. And um, it was so sudden. I wasn't like really expecting it and uh, expecting it. So all these questions started to pop in my head, like what happened, like and why this happened. So we wanted to like put all that feelings in the game and, and try to like communicate with people and make all these questions that maybe like your friends or family won't, won't ask you. Maybe uh, like in my case, uh, I have a great relationship with my friends and, and all, but we are we don't tend to like uh, ask us like really like tough questions like about like the the people we're seeing like the people we're dating uh, so I didn't have like that much in 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 my life when I was like going through this uh, period of my life so we decided to to create a game about that you know like we created this safe environment like it's really calm and chill and you can like play around just take your time so you feel safe and you can like answer in this safe environment to all these questions that could be like a bit demanding sure. so yeah yeah when i was playing through I, I read the questions they make you feel very vulnerable yeah. right away i mean especially because yeah. i'm doing it in public too yeah and i don't know who's yeah. watching but um <laughs> how do those questions shape the game as you go through yeah so um at the beginning of your game you you can choose between like three branches whether you're like sharing your life with someone you are you, you had love but not anymore, or you never had had it in your life. So that will shape the narrative for the game, depending on your love status, and all the questions and all the letters, all the like um, NPCs will talk about your love status. And depending on what you answer to these to these questions you you find in the game, the NPCs and the and the letters will change based on your answers. It's not like the game, like the gameplay changes. Because uh, we feel like early in development, we, we were changing and shaping the world based on your answers. But we feel like we were judging your answers. So, for example, if you if you if you say that you love uh, like polygamy, that is something like you are really passionate about, and and so I make the games so starts raining. It could it could feel like I'm judging you. Like this is bad. They will this should get you like all sad. Or probably maybe rain for you is something like happy maybe it's something that you like so we feel like it was not about it so we wanted to make like a really neutral game where you can like select which, which kind of person you want to be like which kind of relationship you want to be with the game you want to have with the game sorry and and create this like neutral safe space for you to like just chill and introspect and it definitely felt like that. I mean, as you're going through the game, too, there's, like we said, there's the animals that you can pet along the way. You can stop and play your guitar, things yeah. like that. Why was it important for you to include things like that? Because, like like I said, we wanted to create this, like, really safe, like, natural, like, um, harmonic experience where you can, like, because you, you're going to feel, like, really vulnerable. So you must be feel, like, comfortable with the game. So you can, like, really open yourself to it. And, and adding all these like teen, tiny like interactions to make photos and like just to chill with the guitar really helped to like shape 
the mood of the game and the direction we want to like portray to the players. And uh, yeah, it's basically if we wanted to make it like a also like a really creative game, and and you can like solve puzzles in different ways. You can like uh, take pictures and just share it, share, share them on, on Twitter if you feel like it. You can like compose songs, whatever. So it's it feels like a really yeah, like a really creative, safe environment to to play around. Uh, if people want more information on the game and they want to get their hands on it, where should they go? Uh, you can uh, wishlist the game. Wishlist the game on Steam right now. It's gonna be uh, available on April 26, which is like three weeks from now. And uh, yeah, so you, you can go to Steam and, and type in Solo, or you can uh, go into solo-adventure.com. And you will find more info there. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. It's uh, Team Gotham, and uh, and yeah, you can have all the info there. So we are here talking about Super Daryl Deluxe. Uh, I love the humor in the game. First thing, the thing that drew me to it right away, just watching the running animation, I was like, yep, okay, that's goofy as hell. I'm into it. <laughs> uh, where did where did this all come from? This game. Oh man, we started this five years ago. Gary asked me out of the blue to make a game with him while we were in college, and. Uh, we decided to make a game about our stupid high school. And as you can tell, it's just like uh, normal high school. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, yeah, we know each other since middle school. And uh, when I went to college for game development, I said, I'm going to make a game about all the stupid things we did in high school. And then five years later, we woke up and we had a full game. So, yeah, it's all just kind of a blur. I'm not really sure what happens. But uh, you'll have to tell me how the game is because I don't know. <laughs> so is Daryl based on one individual or kind of like an amalgam of different things? An amalgam of different things. We kind of just wanted to make a worst-case scenario for a new student, like this goofy, greasy mullet guy with a sweatband who can't talk. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and just put him into this weird situation and see where that went. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. There are actually a lot of characters in the game based on our high school friends. Um, there are two characters based on us. You'd never know, though. Um, uh, but, yeah, Daryl was just kind of like... You know how gross can we make a protagonist that still kind of has an appeal, yeah. and uh, <laughs> you know I think I think maybe we pulled it off. <laughs> kind of so of is this game world all taking place within Daryl's head, or is that like part of the story? We have to figure that out. The prologue that you played was in Daryl's head, but okay. the rest of the story is all in like the high school, which is okay. a perfectly normal multi-dimensional high school, <laughs> where like you know every classroom is like its own world based on the subject. Yeah, so you'll enter the science classroom, and there's going to be a bunch of science enemies running around. Uh, you'll enter history, and it's like Julius Caesar and Genghis Khan feuding. It's got really weird stuff. But, um, yeah, all of it takes place in the real world. Real world. And, 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 and this world is post-apocalyptic from this awful thing that happened 40 years ago, and you kind of figure that out as the, as the game goes. You find out that there was world peace at some point, but then it just all crumbled. And you don't know why. The um in the with the gameplay, uh, one of the things I noticed right away is it's not you can't just go in and button mash. You have to learn kind of the cooldown of your different attacks. Exactly. Where did that idea come from? Yeah, so uh, I'm the programmer and designer on this, and Dan does all the art. So you can thank him for all the pretty pictures. <laughs> um, I took a lot of the inspiration from the World Ends with You actually on the on the DS. So that was a that had a system where you mix and match a bunch of abilities. So I took that idea and kind of mixed it with a lot of Metroidvania and RPG elements to come up with that. So so you're right, you do have to be very wary of your cooldowns, but all the abilities span across so many different play styles that so you can do range stuff or you can throw down bear traps and landmines or hack and slash, whatever you want. Yeah. 
So behind us too, there's a doodle wall because there's a heavy uh, artistic aesthetic to this game. Oh, thank you. Where did you develop that? Is that your personal style or was that developed for this game specifically? I guess I would say this was developed for this game specifically, but I mean, this being our first project, you know, made on our own, like I just kind of went wild with like whatever I felt like doing. And it's been interesting, I think, allowing people to like pick out the influences rather than me like explaining it. Like people see like a lot of like, uh, it's been described a lot of like margins of the notebook doodle aesthetic with like, you know, daily funnies type, like, you know, Gary Larson, Bill Watterson sure. type stuff. Sure. So that's, that's basically it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this, the color palette was uh, me trying to save work because I didn't feel like coloring everything. <laughs> well, it came out well as, <laughs> I mean, even if it was a lazy aesthetic, it, <laughs> it lends itself to the game very, very Thank well. You. Uh, if people want to get more information on the game, uh, where can they go and do we have a release date? Yes, uh, the game comes out in five days, April 10th, yeah, Tuesday. Um, and they can go to our website, superdaredeluxe.com. We have a Twitter, that's at Dan and Gary Games, um, and like a Facebook page. I mean, just Google Dan and Gary Games, Superdaredeluxe, Deluxe, you'll find it all. Just don't click on the Kickstarter, please. Yeah, just don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's over. It's over, and just don't watch it. <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you so much, guys. We're here talking about Pizza Titan Ultra, which is a, uh, as you described, a crazy taxi-ish mech with a pizza store in his chest. How would you right. describe this to somebody? Uh, it's a, I'd say it's like an arcade action game uh, with uh, a lot of humor and a lot of fun in it. As you mentioned, yeah, you're in a giant robot that has a pizzeria built into its chest. And uh, basically, you're baking the pizzas for delivery and then trashing the city in the process of getting it to the customers. And when you do finally get there, they load the pizza into the fist and they just kind of punch it directly into your living room and yeah. they say, you know, here's your pizza. So with, with an idea this outlandish, uh, where did it come from? Uh, originally, the game was something totally different. It was more of like a sci-fi kind of platformer. Mm. And we were trying to think of uh, other things to put in that would be maybe a little more fun. And we just, everybody loves pizza. We wanted something about pizza delivery, but then we were also still thinking about like sci-fi and we love robots and kind of anime and things like that. So we figured why not kind of smash the two ideas together and giant robot pizza delivery. Yeah. And, uh, and it's worked out so far. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of uh, parody as far as characters going here. You mentioned the, the villain and then one of the other characters that you run into. Yeah, so there are a lot of characters who are heavily inspired by like uh, 90s Saturday morning cartoons or games that we've played before in the past. Like there's one cartoon character who's like very obsessed with the environment wants to keep things clean there's one based on uh on a popular painter who was really popular on twitch a while back and <laughs> you know it's titanium white cheese and stuff like this and he tells you that when he uh, when he calls in and to ask what kind of pizza he wants he says that you know kind of whatever you feel like making the crust is your canvas yeah <laughs> so. that's great the, uh, you have a very comic book aesthetic, and you said that some of the scenes beforehand are in a graphic uh, graphic novel style. Right, yeah. So we'd say that uh, the story is almost kind of, like the gameplay is all kind of an arcade action as you see, but before and after each mission, you get a lot of time with the characters, and it's almost sort of like a visual novel, sort of like a Phoenix Wright game, where there's a lot of, a lot of really funny dialogue, and you get to know the characters a bit more, and there is actually an overarching plot as well. So it's not just an arcade game, there's a full story to it as well. Yeah. Is this the first con that you've shown it, or you've shown this around before? No, we've shown it around. We were at uh, PAX South, actually, last year. Uh, but this one's going to be uh, the last one that we'll show it at before the game actually releases. And that game releases when? 
Uh, it's going to be on Steam April 25th, and we're going to be working on consoles after that, but uh, definitely Steam is the first place you can get it. And if people are looking for more info on the game, where should they go? Uh, PizzaTitanUltra.com. And you guys can check us out on Twitter as well at Team Breakfall. We're here talking about Guacamelee 2, and uh, the first game was unbelievable. I love it so much. Uh, it reminds me a lot of retro action platforming Metroidvania-style games. The controls are all really tight and everything. Um, what's different in 2? Oh, wow. I don't know where to start. Uh, <laughs> Uh, basically, we took everything from the first game uh, and tried to bring it up a level. And then on top of that, we tried to add a whole host of new things. So uh, just to give a rattle off a couple of examples, um, uh, you'll still gain a lot of the same abilities that you did in the original game. Uh, you'll start with no abilities, but as you progress through, you'll get like the rooster uppercut and the dash punch. Uh, but you also get additional types of abilities, like uh, we have a new uh, hooking mechanic, so it's, we call it Eagle Boost. So You'll see little spots in the world where you can, um, when you get close to them, you can push the triangle button on the PlayStation controller to, to shoot through them. And we use that to allow the player to traverse through the levels more quickly or create platforming challenges around them. Um, the chicken in the original game, we had a very basic moveset. Uh, but in Guacamelee 2, we're really fleshing that out a lot further. The chicken is, uh, is, is as effective as uh, Juan uh, is in, com in co both combat and platforming. Uh, and it has its own unique abilities. For example, like you can you can fight as a chicken, you can throw as a chicken. It gets abilities to do like a dash attack in diagonal directions. Um, you can wall jump. You if you hold down X, you can glide as the chicken. A lot of those things are unlocked similarly to a Metroidvania structure as you progress through the game. Um, and then in addition to that, there's like a whole bunch of new enemies, a whole bunch of new bosses, uh, all new levels, and uh, a new upgrade system. Um, that's a lot of the new things, and uh, there's a couple more that are not coming to me right away, but yeah, yeah. there's a lot of new stuff. So uh, there's some very clear influences in the game with, uh, we pointed out, the chicken statues in place of the Metroid statues. What other uh, sources do you pull from for creating this? Um, a lot of the people in the studio are, are older gamers, so uh, we grew up playing like a lot of the classics you mentioned, like, uh, like Metroid, Castlevania, uh, old Mario games. Um, so we're you know we're constantly trying to draw references from those things, things that we put in the game that uh, that people who play those old games will look at and be like, oh yeah, I remember that. It's like like slight nods to those kind of things, but also trying to um, try and introduce new kinds of mechanics or new type, new kinds of like environmental mechanics or player mechanics that are, are make things feel fresh. So one of the things in the demo that uh, that we're showing here is uh, the original the original Guacamelee had its dimension swapping mechanic with the living in a dead world, and you could pull it you could pull one of the triggers to swap between them. Um, in the, in Guacamelee 2, we also have these things called dimension waves, which are like moving windows um, that show you a, like a portal into the dead world. So um, in the original game, there might be a platform that was only in one of the dimensions, and as you're jumping, you need to swap dimensions to make the platform appear, appear and land on it. Uh, in Guacamelee 2, we do things like having the dimension waves passing through the platform, so you need to like time your jumps to make sure that the platform is there as the dimension wave is passing through it. Uh, so something like that's more like of a, uh, like I would say like a, more current day kind of mechanic, um, and just like trying to trying to riff and experiment on different ideas uh, and push things further that we that we had in Guacamelee One. Did the uh, desire to do a sequel come from the success of the first, or a desire for you guys to add some new things and do some new things? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, at the at the end of Guacamelee One, uh, when we were starting to get close to the end of development, we had to cut a bunch of things. So we always had this backlog of, of ideas and, uh, and characters and enemies. 
that we just didn't have time to put into the original game. Um, so uh, that was always like nagging at us. Like we were sad that that stuff didn't get into the game. And then um, once we launched Guacamelean, it, it was successful. We got a lot of people asking us, hey, Guacamelee 2, Guacamelee 2. And we, then we were working on Severed and we were always hearing like people wanted to, a sequel to the game. Um, and as we were developing Severed, we were always in the back of our minds, there was always like the little wheels turning, like ideas for Guacamelee 2 that we could put in. So after wrapping up Severed, we, we thought it felt like natural to go back to Guacamelee. We kind of needed a break. We worked on the original Guacamelee for like three years and we wanted to do something completely different for a while. So so we, we got our break and now we're coming back and like, you know, experimenting with the new ideas. Well, I love the way that it looks. I'm super excited for it to come out. When can we expect, or where can people go to get more information on the sequel? Uh, so we don't know exactly when it's going to launch yet, but the game is uh, playable from end to end, so it's getting pretty close. Uh, but there's still a lot of work to do. We're doing a lot of polish. We're doing a lot of playtesting. Um, we're trying to get the game out by this summer, and right now it looks like that's going to be feasible. So fingers crossed, uh, we're targeting this summer. And if people want more information on the game? Uh, you can follow Drinkbox Studios on Twitter or on Facebook, uh, or you can go to our website, drinkboxstudios.com. All right, we're here talking about Monster Prom, uh, which is a multiplayer dating simulator with a high school full of monsters. So where did this idea come from? Oh, um, a while ago, uh, I wanted to start a game project, and um, there's this game I love. It's called The Yog. It's an amazing game. No monsters, no dating scene, but it's a local multiplayer narrative adventure. And I was like, oh, fuck, I want, to, I want to play more games that are like local multiplayer, a coach experience, but narrative driven. So I looked for more, I couldn't find more, and I was like, maybe I, this is like a subgenre and I have to create the second one. And if we get big enough, I hope so, we get more games like this. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so there are more and more dating simulators out there, but this one is multiplayer. So why multiplayer instead of just going for a regular dating sim? Oh, because, well, of course, I, I have played and really enjoyed some dating sims, but it's a genre I really wanted to disrupt because there's stuff that, I don't know, I respect it, but I want to do it differently. Um, and I really enjoy coach experiences. I love uh, tabletop games and stuff like that. I wanted a game that that felt also like playing, I don't know, like Carl Sainz Humanity or stuff like that. Like, like let's see who does the most wrong thing, you know? So uh, stuff like that. So that was one of the reasons. And of course, we are in a climate with tons of indie games, so you need to stand out. So the first multiplayer monster dating scene sounded good, right? And why monsters? Is there a personal attachment there? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, we had some ideas. I, I, it, this was a while ago, but I remember like playing with the idea of super villain high school stuff like that. Uh, we wanted to give it a like a theme twist because for once it's funnier to create something like that. Like like character design is a lot funnier uh, for us as creators and for fans too. And also people love monsters. Uh, that's not me. It's, you, you go to Twitter and Tumblr. Yeah. But, so uh, if people want more information on this game, where can they go to get it? Oh, yeah. Uh, we have a, a website. It's uh, www.monsterprom.pizza. Uh, pizza? Yeah, like the food. Uh, <laughs> nice. And we have uh, our Twitter, which is super easy. It's at Monsterprom. And of course, you can go to Steam and wishlist the game. We're releasing the game really soon. On the uh, April 27th, three weeks from now. 
We're here talking about Sky Noon, which is a uh, frenetic, fast-paced, first-person, grapple western air shooter. Yes, yeah. A ba the basically easy way to like understand the concept of it is, what if you took Smash Brothers and made it a first-person shooter? Mm. So it plays very safe. If you get into the mindset of playing it like you would play Smash, you'll do pretty good. When you were developing the game, was it the concept of the lassos and the shooting, or did the Western theme come first, or what was the genesis? Um, it was more just big fans of Smash Brothers um, and and first-person shooters. Everybody loves them. It was it's more just the concept of the game, yeah. and and the Western aesthetic with the the steampunk. It just it just kind of felt felt right. Yeah. Yeah. Was it always air as your weapon, or were there times where you're like, well, it's it's going to be a deathmatch game, but then the air came in? No, it's, it pretty much always wants to be like, we always wanted to make it air. Just We, we want to capture both audiences that are fans of FPSs, but then also fans of like the new shooter fans like of Splatoon. So that's making it so that anybody can play. And, and really, it, when you play the game, it really is obvious that it's not just for hardcore people, but anybody can kind of get in there yeah. and still dominate. Because you see, even my kids, when they play Splatoon, it's, you don't even want to go up against them sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the game itself, it looks like it would lend itself very well to VR. Is that anything that you explored? Would it? Uh, I think I would be very sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but... It would be amazing, yeah. I mean, the main thing right now is um, we're just making sure the game's as polished as possible yep. for our early, early access launch. And then at that point, I mean, it's really about what the community wants. So if, if everybody's saying, we want more maps, more characters, more weapons, or if there's a big outcry to uh, do VR, yep. then we'll definitely look into that stuff and, and see if that it is where people want it to go. Um, yeah. I would love to try it. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if people are looking to get their hands on the game, when can they expect uh, anything that they can really play? Yeah. So... Basically, if you go to skynoongame.com, yep. you can sign up for the closed beta, which is going to be about two weeks from now. Um, then we're going to be going probably to a more open beta on Steam, so everybody can join in if they want to download it. We're going to get as many people as possible. And then after that, if everything's looking good, um, we're going to be moving to launch um, very soon. And skynoon.com for all the info? Skynoongame.com. We're here talking about Children of Morta, uh, which is this procedurally generated dungeon crawling family game yeah. uh yeah. so w what is the full story here what's going on so uh children of morta is a narrative driven hack and slash uh, dungeon crawler with some roguelike uh elements kind of mixed into it here and there but yeah no you'll be taking control of an entire family uh, you'll be diving into dungeons where essentially what's going on is the mountain that you've been guarding for generations has become under siege by this tar that's flooding the land and it's corrupting all the creatures and all the gods of the land so as the Guardians, it's your job to get to the top of the mountain to figure out what this corruption is, where it came from. But the only way to get up there is to save all the lesser gods at the base of the mountain who will then help you get to the top. So essentially, diving into dungeons, killing a bunch of things, seeing how a family deals with the weight of the, of the world on their shoulders, yeah. and then uh, hopefully saving the world. Yeah. So what is the inspiration for something like this? What do you look at for influences? Not only in the development of the game, the way the game plays, but also maybe story. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I guess going all the way back, it started with the family. Like, that was our original, so, like, less inspiration, but, like, this is what we started with, sure. our cornerstone, right? We knew we wanted to build a game around the family, and so, like, that's how the whole game started forming from that. Um, so, for as far as inspirations go, um, 
Gauntlet and Diablo yeah. were a huge inspiration. Uh, we all uh, we all grew up playing Gauntlet, uh, couch co-op, you know, and just obviously our game's not near as uh, antagonistic as Gauntlet could be. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna be working together in Children of Morta. You're not gonna be fighting each other. Yeah. Um, and then you know, with the the new rise and like pixel art and like the our let's say the restrictions being lifted from pixel art, right? So like we're using pixel art, but we no longer have the restrictions of that. So. Obviously, you know, games like uh, Hyperlight Drifter uh, yep. were a big influence on that. But then also, like, Studio Ghibli. We're a sure. big fan of the animations. Like, I mean, if you see our Corruption Tar Monster, you're probably going to be thinking Princess Mononoke. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. So there's a lot of inspiration there. And then there's also a lot of inspiration from Middle Eastern art. Like, there, that's a lot. Like, the way our art style, the way our angles yeah. are kind of pulled, that's where we're gonna, you're going to be seeing a lot of that there. So, yeah. We, I mean, we pull inspiration from a lot of, a lot of random places. One of the things I like about it so much is that you said like all the characters can beat the game by themselves. So one of the things I never liked in games is being restricted to a certain thing like, oh, I like the game a lot, but I just don't want to use this one character. But that's yeah. not the case here. No, every character is soloable. If you, if, you don't, if you don't have a buddy to play with at the moment, you can beat the game with just one character. Uh, all of them can sustain the entire length of the game, for sure, yeah. Well, it's interesting because originally we, we always wanted multiplayer, but we couldn't we didn't have the time when we were originally developing it. But then when our publisher came in, gave us a little breathing room, we were able to retcon multiplayer into it essentially. Yeah. Uh, and we've tweaked the characters from there, but essentially no character is going to be dependent on any other character to beat the game. Um, so how close are we to completion, and is there a release date in mind? This year, uh, it'll be closer to the end of the year, but we're getting we're getting near we're getting close, yeah. and we'll be on Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. And if people want more info on the game, where can they go? They can. Uh, we have our website, uh, but you can also follow us on Twitch. Uh, it's, I think it's just at Children of Morta. And then uh, if you follow the devs, which is Dead Mage Studios, or and then our publisher is Eleven Bit Studios. We're here talking about Moonlighter, which is a uh, shop sim slash dungeon crawler. Yep. Uh, so what's the overall premise here? Well, you, you play as a shop owner, as a shopkeeper, that in order to make a living needs to go to some dungeons nearby his town during the night, uh, fight for loot that he can bring back to the shop and sell for gold. Because gold is the only way in the game that you can get stronger and progress. Because the, the, the dream of Will, the, the protagonist of the game, is to become a hero like his customers. So slowly he will work hard to make his way enter deeper than anybody else in the dungeons and be famous about it. So it's like you split your time between these two things, moonlighting, to eventually pursue your dream. And this is a combination of pretty much two different games. It's the dungeon crawling and it's the shop management. So what yeah. was, when did that uh, come into it? Was it always, I want to do both or did it start out as one and then adding in the other? Well, the, the idea was from the beginning to mix the, the two concepts. Uh, it started as uh, like us making the question of what, what will it be to play as the shopkeeper of the traditional sure. JRPG game or something similar. But from the very beginning, we have games like uh, Rogue Legacy or The Binding of Isaac in mind to add all the roguelike part to it. So we were always trying to make the game so it's, it's two cores, it's two cycles, will synergize and reinforce each other. So when you're joining the dungeon, you're thinking about, okay, is this good for the shop? Is this something I can sell and profit from? And when you are in the town, you are always thinking about, okay, I need gold to craft the stuff that you can use in the dungeon. So we want the two aspects of the game to be very, we, we didn't want it to feel like two games stitched together at all. We want them to feel uh, merged in, in the same thing, yeah. For the art style of the game, what did you look to for influences? Oh, well, like, I would say that a mixture of traditional uh, pixel art, things like the Minish Cap, Zelda the Minish Cap, or modern things like Hyperlight Drifter, maybe, that kind of stuff. So those two things. 
And regarding the direction, probably things like Studio Ghibli movies, that sense of place that they achieve is something we always had in mind. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you have the bosses in here that take you to advance to the next dungeon, yes. and you said there's a story that goes throughout yes. this, even though it's not the core of the game. So. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so it, there is a narrative to the game and there is an ending to it uh, regarding to this big mysterious gate that nobody has ever opened and that explains why these multidimensional dungeons exist. But basically the people in the game treat the, the dungeons as a source of wealth, as a goldmine, and will want to become farther. So the game is not about the narrative, but it's always there. And you can, if you want, you can learn a lot reading things here and there. It's something similar to what the Dark Souls series does. So the, the lore is scattered around. You can read about it if you want. And, but yeah, there, there's a narrative and there's an ending to the game, even if the focus of the game is more on the, on the gameplay. Yeah. Do you have a targeted release in mind or schedule? It's going to be announced very, very, very soon. And yes, it's, it's ready for release in Xbox, PlayStation and PC and a little later on Nintendo Switch. And if people want more information on the game, where can they go? Uh, probably our Twitter is the best place, at uh, Digital Sun. Uh, that's the best place to, to stay updated with news of the game. All right, we're here talking about Sleep Tight, which is a... Pillow Fort Defense, uh, Kill the Monsters from the Closets game. What can you tell me about it? Yeah, well, uh, quick way to describe it is if Pixar made Gears of War Horde mode, um, but it's a twin stick shooter with base building elements. So during the day, you're building your pillow fort, you're upgrading your Nerf guns and super soakers, and at night, you're fighting off the monsters trying to invade your bedroom. Yeah, it's very uh, easy to pick up, very intuitive. Uh, was that the goal to make it as easy as possible for a kid to play this? Completely, and not just for kids, also for us, yes. you know, because for me, when I get home from a long day at work, I don't want to ramp up into a game or get, you know, stressed out or on edge or have to think about, wait, what were the controls of this whole thing? It's really what we're trying to do is make the comfort food of video games, something you can play when you get home after a long day of work and kind of wind down for the day or something that you can pick up for 10 minutes here or there and feel like you still got a fun experience out yeah. of it. And there's an interesting story behind the origin of this game, too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. This was something that me and my childhood friend always wanted to do. When we were kids, we were playing with pillow forts and Nerf guns going, you know, one day let's make this a video game. And uh, 20 years later, I became an art director, he became a programmer, and we finally realized, hey, we could actually make that thing. And, uh, and we did. And so this has been a passion project, a labor of love for the last couple of years, and we're finally here sharing it with everyone. How's the response been impact so far? It's incredible. You know, we work in a bubble and we've been working on this for so long. So to see everyone else play it and just walk away smiling and having fun, it, it's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, what are we looking at as far as release date goes? Yeah, we're looking at summer and we'll be announcing release date in the next couple weeks. And if people want more information on the game, where can they get it? Sure, they can go to sleeptightgame.com. We're here talking about Murderous Pursuits, which is the spiritual successor to the ship, right? That's right. Exactly. Um, Back in 2005-2006, I was lucky enough to be part of the original team that made the ship. Um, and then Blazing Griffin, the company who made this game, um, bought the IP in 2011. Um, it kind of coincided with YouTubers playing it together and getting a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so that generated quite a lot of sales for us and then we built a remastered version of the ship on Steam and then we've used the technology to then build this game. What from uh, building the ship did you carry over and did you learn from to help create this? And um, what we did, we looked at all the Steam comments from the ship, and thousands of them over yeah. the years. And um, what we did is picked out the best things from that, and we we wanted it to be to keep the feel of the ship, um, the, the sort of slower paced cerebral aspect, 
get not be too twitchy or too arcadey. Um, uh, and so with that in mind, that's how we came up with this, uh, this build. There are some big differences between the two in the sense that while there are many similarities, uh, one of the things being that you're not given a visual of who your target is. That's Why right. was that decision made? That's right. One of the things about the original ship, you got a portrait to tell you exactly who was there. Um, we didn't want that to be in this in this case because we didn't want people to be uh, worried about the uniqueness of their character. So um, as you saw when you played there, um, um, a lot of the NPCs are very similar looking to you. Yeah. And so that was the thing about the exposure. The, the, one of the new mechanics would replace the needs with the exposure mechanics so that you would um, use that to hide in plain sight. So um, it's similar um, sort of pretending to be NPCs really. In an age of streaming where everyone is sharing videos of the game and stuff, how, how, what do you uh, learn from that kind of input to see people actually hands-on? Um, it's really useful actually. Um, we've had a couple of streamers and YouTubers play the game already um, and we've got the design team there watching very closely yeah. as they're playing. Um, we've also been encouraging them to feedback as much as possible, so we've got a huge spreadsheet back at home <laughs> of all the things that people have been talking about. So yeah, it's really helpful um, for us to you know um, balance the game and to also find out what we uh, what the future direction would be. Okay, and Murderous Pursuits is coming out very soon too, right? That's right. Um, it's going to be 26th of April. Uh, that's the plan. Um, we are holding um, a couple of closed betas um, before that, um, but we'll we'll if you watch uh, the, our social media, we'll. Um, be letting people know about uh, the open beta if there will be one. Awesome. And if people want more information, where can they get it? Um, if you just check out blazinggriffin.com and all our social stuff, there's also Murderous Pursuits um, website as well that you can have a look at. And that's all our social uh, stuff on there. Great. Well, I look forward to the game. It's so much fun. Okay, we're here talking about the Church in the Darkness, uh, which is a cult infiltration game. What else can you tell me about it? Yeah, so it's set in South America with this cult called the Collective Justice Mission. They've moved down there because they don't like living in the U.S., so they've gone down there. It's the late 70s, and you're trying to infiltrate there to look for your nephew Alex to see if he's okay or not. One of the things that I thought was coolest about the game is the mechanic that it can change so much. Yeah. So how does that work? Yeah, so you don't know if this cult group that he's a member of, if they're... You know, uh, if they're like really apocalyptic and dangerous and they're going to hurt themselves or hurt someone, or if they're just really radical, people want to live a different way of life, like they're really, you know, progressive, but still like a cult group in either group, in either case, but in one, a really dangerous one, and the other one, kind of just a different way to live. So you try to figure that out while you're playing because you might find your nephew Alex, he might want to leave, he might want to stay, and you need to decide whether you let him do that or not. And you know, you can force him to come with you or you can decide to let him stay and then just leave the group. When the game was being developed, was it the stealth mechanic and the kind of changing story that came first? Or was it the setting of the call of infiltration? Yeah, I mean, I've been interested in cults for a long time, but I also knew doing like a top-down stealth game, uh, infiltration game, sort of like a fast-paced stealth, wasn't something I'd seen in a while. So I thought that was cool genre. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool? What can you infiltrate that we haven't seen a, a thousand times before? So like a cult compound in South America seemed like a, just a great place to set the game. And then I, I like games that had do different things with narrative. So like the idea of seeing both sides of a cult like this, one where they are dangerous, one where they're not, and having a little bit of a mystery to it yeah. would make the game really replayable. And, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It's difficult enough to make a game where you have a really strong narrative that goes throughout. So what were the challenges you faced when you were having those different components that had to like unveil the story as you went through? Yeah, 
I mean, it's definitely planning out all the permutations to all the different endings you can get and then writing content for all of those things um, is challenging because it's, you know, it's easier to just write like a novel or like a movie or, or like a game that feels like a movie where it's just the same yeah. story. You can make it exactly right. So in this one, you know, it's not exactly the same. So as a result, sometimes the story will be a little weirder than other ones. Yeah. You know, sometimes it'll take different twists and turns. And the way we let you play it, it's very open world. You're really discovering the story while you play. It's not a bunch of cutscenes. It's not like pushed on you in that way. Sure. It's more experiential. Uh, so really can depend between playthrough to playthrough how the story feels. And we're just trying to put in enough systems to make sure you're getting the key beats each time. Uh, but still letting you play the game the way you want to play it. Mm. I know the game's been in development for a while. Is there a release date being targeted right now? Yeah, we're talking about this year. Oh, wow. uh, so we're trying to put all the pieces together. We got most of our content done. It's just polishing and, and, and putting all the pieces together at this point. So. And if people want more info on the game, where can they go? Yeah, a great place to go is our website, paranoidproductions.com, and you can click on the Church in the Darkness in there, and there's a mailing list that you can sign up for. Also, you can find us on Twitter at Church Darkness. Uh, we got Facebook. You can just search for the Church of the Darkness. Or you can search for us on Steam and wishlist us on there right now if you want to. We're here talking about Last Year, The Nightmare, which is a uh, very unique-looking horror game. What can you tell me about it? So it's on Halloween night, 1996. It's a six-player online game. The goal is to survive uh, an attack of a supernatural killer. Actually, multiple ones. And in the case of the demo today, we have three killers. There are basically preying on five uh, high schoolers for around 15 to 60 minutes. So, like other, uh, there are some other asymmetrical horror games out there too, but the one thing that I noticed about this that makes it very unique is when you're dead, you're not dead necessarily. Exactly, so when you die, you need to be revived or liberated in this case by one of your teammates. So uh, it adds a little bit of a dynamism to the gameplay, and the players have been reacting very positively to it. And it seems like there are multiple killers you can choose from at different points within it. Yeah, so as I was saying, uh, for this demo, you have three killers. So whoever controls the killer, in this case our dev member, picks a killer. If that killer gets killed, he gets to come back as a different one. So it impacts the game. Yeah. So uh, what did you get for inspiration from this? Why the 90s? Uh, well, I was born in the 80s. I was in high school in the 90s. Most of us were in the 90s. We feel like it's just a fun era to explore. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what's really separating you from the other games that are attempting to do things like this? Um, I believe that it's more, I mean, there's several things, but for me, what I'm seeing so far on player behavior and reaction is that cooperation, that communication to survive. I was a big fan uh, of Left 4 Dead back in the day, you know, and I remember me saying, having that choice where do I escape or do I want to save my buddy so we can escape as a team, right? So that's what the player reaction and feedback has been so far. And we've been basically very happy that we're hitting a home run with it. Which one were you? Were you the save the buddy or were you the escape? No, I, I like to save. I like to save. But I like to save people and uh, I remember I was playing the game internally at the studio where I was just kind of block the entrance so the killer can take me so the others can. So I'm kind of like a hero type of guy. So, but hey, who knows? It might, it might change later. I don't know. But for now, I like to uh, save. Be the saving hero. The response has been very great to the game. I'm seeing great reactions from people. Uh, is there a projected date that you're going to get it into people's hands? 
So we're planning a summer release uh, for PC, and we're open to do console versions eventually, yeah. uh, but we're focusing on the PC version right now. And if people want more information on the game, where can they go? So last year, the game, we're on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we're relaunching our website with our brand new assets coming up, and we're slowly prepping towards uh, launch. Awesome. Well, the game looks great. I can't wait to play it myself, so thank you very much. Thanks, man. We're here talking about Earth Knight, which is a fantastic uh, back of the dragon endless runner. What can you tell me about it? It's not endless. Uh, our, endless. Yeah, well, <laughs> endless. Uh, Earth Knight, name of the game, is also the name of the end of the game. Uh, the final world is where you want to be. You want to get down to the planet, slay the final Earth Knight dragon, save the world. The uh, game has a very unique art style. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Totally. So Paul Davey, his internet tag is Mattahan, M-A-T-T-A-H-A-N. You can check him out on our website. He is this unbelievably talented uh, Jamaican-born painter. Um, he did a bunch of canvas paintings, but also like paints in Photoshop. And you can check out his paintings on the internet. They are unbelievable. Yeah. And we started working together just because I loved his art, working on a few apps. And then we decided we would try to bring his art to life to motion with the goal of making you know a work of art that every time you looked at the screen it looked like a beautiful painting um, every single thing in the game every frame of every character every texture is painted by him he's been painting for over six years now um, he had never done animation before and so we got this guy Zach Cohen actually the guy standing right there uh, to he, Paul will like sketch frames of like what something will look like and then we'll test it out Zach will then do black and white frames and Paul will then ink every single frame Sydney the star of the game, our child, female, black protagonist, was the first thing he's ever animated. He painted her frame by frame. She's inspired by his little sister, and she's actually wearing like the classic uh, Jamaican schoolgirl outfit. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, and we're just like super proud about that. Representation matters, and I love that, you know, I'm not some corporate suit who's going to stop him from expressing himself in his art. And as we've like gone further down the road and gotten close to release and kind of gotten some buzz, it's really meant a lot to a lot of people. And well, you can tell awesome. me about the story and the world that exists here. Yeah, we have yeah. you said like a post-apocalyptic, like space dragon. Thing. Yeah, I got you. Uh, <laughs> dragons have taken over the earth, and the final remaining humans have fled to space as refugees. And one day, our heroes Stanley and Sydney decide they've had enough. They're going to skydive down to the planet and take out as many dragons as they can along the way. Um, there is lots of like fun lore bits along the way, but to unlock kind of like the more interesting parts of the story, you have to beat the game and then beat it in different ways. And another thing that you told me that was very interesting was the syncing of the game with real life events, like the phase of the moon and stuff like that. I'd say the only part of the game that's like synced with real life events is the moon. Although there's also like the scrap stock market, yeah. but uh, yes, the moon in Earth Night reflects the same as the moon in the sky in real life. I found out that the moon phase in doing research to handle this and handle it programmatically. The moon phase for the entire world is the same, no matter where you are. But if you're on the southern hemisphere, it's flipped uh, horizontally. We handle that. So if you look up into the sky and, you know, hold your Nintendo Switch or your, play your game, it'll be the same. And there, it does affect the game. When the full moon is out, there are some secrets to discover in Earth Night that are only there. There's also a... a in the post-apocalyptic dragon future where humans are in space as refugees, the de facto currency is water. Everyone needs water, obviously, and all the ships have water tanks, including yours, which you can upgrade. And you're constantly collecting scraps and junk on Dragon's Back. There's 100 and, over 150 different ones to collect. 
and they all have a price that changes every day depending on supply and demand. But that is also universally synced around the world. So if you're playing on a Thursday in April and somebody in Japan is too, all the prices will be same. So there's no daily runs per se, but like that run on that day will always be a little bit unique. That's wild. That's wild. Uh, you're working on it now still, polishing it up. Yeah. Is there a release date that you're aiming for? We are currently working on the final world, and we still have you know, some bugs and some things here and there, some final effects and polish to do, but we are getting there. We've been working on it for about six years now. Um, it was mostly part-time in the beginning. This past year has been the first time we've all been full-time. Uh, but we are gunning as hard as we can to go gold by the end of the year, early next year, and be out on PlayStation 4 and PC in January, February of next year and other consoles to be announced soon. Awesome. And if people want more information about the game, where can they go? They can go to cleaversoft.com. They can follow us on Instagram, Cleaversoft, Facebook, Cleaversoft. The game's called Earth Knight. If you Google it, you'll get there. It's like night and day, one word. What else? I, I really like to talk about the procedural nature of it. it. uses what we call hand design procedural generation. So everything is laid out by me, and there's some procedural elements, but like if a platform is there or a trail of balloons, it wasn't just put there by a computer. I laid it out, and it's there for a reason to lead you up to something. Um, but I make a whole bunch of variations of each piece. So the, the final game has about 18 quadrillion seeds. I always like to say your path to Earth Knight will always be difficult, always be different, and riddled with danger. Awesome. Well, I look forward to the game. It's so fun to play. It looks beautiful. Thank you. And it's going to be amazing, I can tell already. Serious labor of love. We are here talking about Pode, uh, which is coming soon Soon to the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, very soon. So we're saying late spring, early summer. And what can you tell me about the premise of the game? So the premise is that there's a star that's fallen from the sky that's lost and needs to get back home. And she meets this character called Boulder, who's very sort of more mountainy, more rocky, belongs in the mountains. Yeah. And he says, come follow me, I know the way home. And so he takes her into this magical mountain where they encounter, well, magic and mystery and stories, basically. Yeah. And then they solve different puzzles, working together. And at the same time, they actually discover new abilities within themselves as well. So you keep growing through the whole game. I feel like there might be an underlying deeper metaphor going on here. There is. <laughs> and we're going to have to learn that by playing it, aren't yes, we? Are. <laughs> so uh, where did the idea come from to have a pairing like that? The idea is from the game director. Um, I think she'd always wanted to create a co-op game, but it became more intense when she became a mother, so she wanted to have a game that she could play with her new son. And at the same time, also feel like she was being challenged as well, not just having a kid's game that they could play with. So he wanted, she wanted to have something that he could interact with at the same time that she was being challenged in the living room as well. So it's that. And also, she wanted to create something that was Norwegian, basically, that it sort of celebrated a lot of the art styles of a certain era in Norway. And that's that comes very well out through the art there. And the game is uh, gorgeous. It's super cute. Uh, was that to encourage more children to play it, that kind of cute aesthetic? Well, I guess it's not totally just towards children. It's, it's, um, she's very uh, passionate about creating positive gaming experiences. So for adults as much as kids, basically. And But yeah, it's that positive gaming experience that is the end goal. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, it's part of the thing that drew me into, so okay. just a big kid over here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah. So if people want more information on Pode, where can they go to get it? 
at podegame.com. So uh, we're talking about Pixel Ripped here. What can you tell me about this? So yeah, Pixel Ripped is a trap back in the 80s. I have been working on this game since 1989. That's a long time. Talking serious now. <laughs> so yeah, that's why we have all this uh, retro setup here. Uh, basically, you will go back in, the, in 1989 and you see yourself in VR playing a game in a classroom, which is like in a Game Boy device. So you're in a classroom playing a game, yeah. which is pixel ripped, but then you look around, the teacher's giving a lecture. So you have to hide the game from the teacher and pretend you're not playing the game. Because if the teacher catch you three times, it's game over. So there's a lot of 80s reference in here. I saw a lot of uh, things pulled from other video games, some concepts, some ideas. Uh, where does all your inspiration for this come from? So I grew up in the 80s. I'm from 1983. I have a bunch of brothers and cousins, and we video games has been part of my life. I my first console was the IGC2. I had Atari. In Brazil, we had the console system. I don't know if you heard about it. Uh, Mega Drive, Sega. I I grew up. This is, has been part of growing up my life. Uh, the best time I had in my whole life. Video games was always there. I had also a female Counter-Strike team. Okay, wow. Yes. And yeah, so it's a lot of a life experience. And uh, also I had a DK1 Oculus Rift. I had bought DK1 Oculus Rift at 2014 when I started this project. Okay. And I was really inspired to do something VR, but something that would actually make sense and would use the best of the tech, something that could just have been done with VR. And not just something, I'm just going to put a 360 camera or something there and then just see what happens. So, yeah, that's a mix of uh, life experience and the love of VR. So when did the idea of putting the game inside of the game come in? So I had a dream that changed everything for me. I was uh, doing a master's degree at the NFTS at the time and at the final, at the NFTS in England. So at final year of the course, you have one year to make a game. And then I was struggling to come up with an idea. I was going to do a Brazilian carnival game. And then my head of the course was like, no, you should write it down, at least five more ideas. And I was like, okay, okay, I will try. But I was decided for this carnival game. And then I had a dream that changed everything. I was like playing a game on the TV and the game was changing and evolving. Like imagine it starts from 16 bits. And then every time the game changing graphics, the whole world was pixelating around me. And then there was a point at the end of the game, the move, the dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the end of the dream TV, that the game on the TV was realistic, so realistic that the whole world was merged together in one. Wow. The TV and the room. I woke up, I was like, oh my God, the history of video games. That feeling of seeing the game, you know, changing and evolving. That, we, we all seen this in the 80s and it's never gonna happen again like this is never gonna happen again you see like you, Mario and Sonic and you wanna see oh my god I wanna see how Metroid's gonna look in the Super Nintendo I wanna see all this, this the evolution of the games that we had it and it it, it, it blew my mind when I had this dream I was like this this is it we're gonna make a game they play in the game and you see this game changing and evolving and that was going to be it but then it changed during the process, the development process, of course. There were some bugs that happened that really inspired me. For example, the character coming out, the boss battle moment. That was a bug. It wasn't playing it. Wow. Yeah, so I was just supposed to be playing a game on the TV all the time. And then I saw this 2D character jumping like this. Whoa! 
like this 2D sprite in the wall jumping in the middle of nowhere and I was like oh my god the 3D graphics with the 2D graphics yeah. is great and I I changed it all and it became the the highlight of the game the boss battle like the ice in the cake so it was just a game. happy accident you leaned into it yeah I'm so glad that I was open for the bugs you know yeah. sometimes bugs come and they impress you it's incredible that's awesome so uh, are you eyeing a release date and on which platforms for this so it'll be on PlayStation VR, Oculus Rift and Vive on the 22nd of May. So it's getting really close. I'm here like, oh my God, I have to be working. And if people want more information on the game, where can they go? So you can go pixelripped.com. There's everything there. All our social media is pixel ripped. So it's ripped like, and you can go on Steam. We already have a page you can wish list pixel ripped. And yeah, it's going to be out 22nd of May. Follow up. You can also subscribe to our email list on the website. There's a hello. Just send an email. Hello at pixelrip.com. All right. We are here talking about Death Garden, which is an asymmetrical thriller, not a horror game. Uh, what can you tell me about it? So sure. So Death Garden is, like you said, an asymmetrical game. It's five versus one, and it pits five runners, we're calling them, against one hunter yeah. in this garden of death. Okay? So... Basically, the runners have to complete objectives to be able to open exits to escape if they can. And the hunter's goal is to stop them by killing them. That's that's it in a nutshell. There's a lot of similarities to Dead by Daylight, but the differences are what really make this game stand apart. So what are the big differences here? Yeah, that's a good question. So one of the main differences is that we really want to focus on team play. So we want to amp that up and make it really at the core of what the game is. Just to give an example of that, one of the mechanics we have in the game is what we're calling marking. And that allows runners to use what we call their vambrace, it's like a gauntlet, sure. to fire bolts at uh, any interactive object in the world. So we have health crates, we have ammo crates. And when you do that, you mark it, which basically reveals it to your entire team throughout all the geometry. So, hey, where's the objective? It's over there, someone marked it. Where's some health? I need it. It's over there. Somebody marked it. So that's kind of one example of how we're focusing on um, doing actions that are kind of beneficial to you, that help the team, and that help that team play aspect. Yeah. One of the things you'd mentioned before, too, is the uh, the diversity in objectives as well as the procedural generation yes. here. What can you say about that? Yeah, so we're focusing on just showing at PAX one objective type today. We're calling it Capture. But we plan on offering other objective types in the future. This will give... Uh, different strategies and different ways of playing uh, make them viable and so you know as the players learn the different objective types they'll learn what the best way to play them is and what how they want to play them but having that procedurally generated environment really helps in like we didn't want people to learn the map we wanted them to think on their feet just like like you said a thriller so yeah, yeah. it's not about you know picking the right place to go it's about reacting to what you're seeing where's the hunter where are the objectives and kind of like we don't have a mini map right yeah. Because you're just trying to focus on what do I have to do right now, right this second. And that sort of mindset lends itself to like that, this pressure, this blood, this blood pressure, this, you know, your heart rate goes up. Yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of a, that in a nutshell. As this is the big reveal of the game and showing it to the public, what kind of response are you getting and what are you learning about your game? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, we love the response we're getting. There's a lot of people come by saying the game is good. And, you know, like I've mentioned it before, but... We have been working on this game for almost two years and it's just so awesome to show it to people and see their reactions and like 
you know, when you're at work, you think the game is fun, you, you have fun playing it, and you try to anticipate all the problems or issues or, or and the fun stuff as well. But having people come and try it for real and see them sit at their computer for the first time is such a it's such a thrill because you know, like we make I mean I especially and the team at Behavior Digital, we're making games for fans. We're making games for people who love to play, for gamers who really want to compete and have a good time and 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 really get into the game. Yeah. And that's what I, I that's what I'm all about. I'm not making it for me, I'm making it for the fans. And we hope to, you know, please them as much as possible. I know it's still very early into development, but do you have on the schedule like a projected time to get this in the hands of people? So I can't talk about any of the release dates today. What I can say is if your fans want to go to um, Death Garden the game, deathgardengame.com, they can sign up for a closed alpha. Oh, yeah, and I I can't say when that's going to be either. I know I'm gonna you know I gotta do what I'm told. I gotta do the right thing, but um, you know as you can as you'll show in your footage, it's it's uh, it's playable and it's not going to be in a year. You know what I mean? The alpha is not going to be in a year. Awesome. Well, the game was so much fun, oh, thank you. and I appreciate look forward to having it at home with me. So, I appreciate thank it. you so much. Thank appreciate you. it. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to head on over to the very newly designed thegeekgeneration.com for everything else that we do. If you use iTunes, please rate the show and write a review. We always appreciate those. You can watch our live podcasts, cooking, gaming, game shows, and more at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. Send emails and feedback to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can also be found on our site. We'll be back soon with more geeky stuff for you, and we will see you then. Later. Make it so.